Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. Just dropping by. Written by Deomik. The world is ending. Lulu knew this. Her children know this. And the rest of the Eerie know it too. Their delicate system of satellites predicted that their sun's solar storms would only get worse. And they have... The last one was knocked out of their planet's only ring transport, preventing faster-than-light travel out of the solar system. It was only a matter of time before solar flares hit the planet directly and destroyed the civilization forever. Lulu wants to vocalize or break something, but she is the leader of her people. Only the second, and likely the last. She keeps her body still and silent, a picture of dignity as her scientists detail their last-ditched, doomed-to-fail efforts to preserve their species. The Eerie will not wait for death, but it will come regardless. And they were close. The Eerie have just thrown off their oppressors and had just been recognized by the galactic civilization at large, and have just been given the ring transport to connect the rest of the extrastellar civilizations. She pled their case to the enormous government that ruled most of the galaxy, and they dithered. It was far too late now. Leader! One of the scientists, speaking while vocalizing a low hum of sorrow. A mass coronal ejection is predicted to reach the planet in five minutes. It's larger than anything we've seen before. Thank you, Lulu replies, spinning the words with sincerity, even that she remains still. Thank you for trying. She watches the screen simulating the approach of the radiation and energy that would destroy them, and she only thinks of her children. The sky, outside lights, of the glorious array of colors of ultraviolet to infrared, swirling in a frenzied splatters, and no one dies. No one dies? Lulu looks at a scientist who seems just as stunned as she is. Hello? The screen flickers, displaying a strange bipedal creature with four limbs and smooth brown skin, so unlike the five-limbed and green-scaled bodies of the eerie. Yeah, so, uh... We hope that you're okay with us stopping that nasty coronal ejection. We were pretty sure it'd kill you all. It moves its face around, and Lulu instinctively knows that the movement represents unhappiness. Frowning, just as how she was able to instinctively understand it. Them. Well, the being is speaking in plural, even as she can only see one. You weren't trying to kill yourselves, right? Says the creature, suddenly sounding worried. If you were, we can undo the mass stabilizers and cause your local star to return to this regularly scheduled sunstorms. No! She says quickly and finally gathers her wits. Lulu is finding it more and more difficult to keep herself from vocalizing. No, we weren't trying to die and thank you for saving us. Yeah, of course. The being holds out his folded manipulators and Lulu knows just then that it's a sign of approval. Thumbs up suddenly enters into her vocabulary, even though her people don't have thumbs. Why'd you help us? Pipes in Oa, 
the one of the scientists. He has long given up on the proprietary and is simultaneously screeching his shock through his vocalizers. Lou thinks that questioning the motives of the immensely powerful being that has just offered to kill them all seems like a bad plan. Well, they begin, the activity of your sun caused enough gravitational disturbances that we had to wake up and see it. Solar activity is especially beautiful from, from higher dimensions, you know. Or don't, actually. Anyway, that's when we noticed that you were all just, um, hanging out in your rock without doing anything. And we were pretty sure that the fleshy beings like you can't all survive that. And dying is bad. So we threw up a quick spatial anomaly to shield the worst of the radiation, edited the mass composition of your sum, and vented the rest of the energy outwards. No biggie. She has a leader for a reason. Despite wanting to ask the same hundred questions that the scientists are, Lulu vocalized sharply, and the others fall silent. Thank you, she says again, sincerely meaning it, while also stalling for time to collect her thoughts. Thank you for saving us. Her vocalization is slow, dirge, one only used for the most serious, momentous occasions. We are forever in your debt. You are more advanced than we ever dreamed possible. But if there is anything that we can do, we will do it. Her speech flusters the creature, and they flip their hair with a dismissive gesture. Oh, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. Anyone would have done the same. No, thinks Lulu. They hadn't. So, um, they scratch their chin. You want gifts? Space-time bound beings like gifts, right? They make a chattering noise, laughter, an expression of joy. Sorry, we haven't descended in a while. Yes, she says cautiously. Lulu isn't sure if this is a trick, but on the off chance of receiving aid from our hyper-powerful beings is worth the possibility. Great! We'll toss them shiny stuff your way. Arar, one of the other scientists, has had enough. What are you? Why haven't you ever been heard of before? How did you even have the technology to edit our son? And you're just going to give us gifts? You aren't afraid of us misusing them. The image of her people being blasted into smithereens because the scientist's disrespect flashed through her mind, but the being only laughs again. We're humans, they say, and all of your other questions can be answered by this. We are the first. Our civilization came into existence two million years before yours. Several thousand years after that, we rose into the higher planes of existence alone. The human looked around, and even with the distance of the screen, Lelou could tell that they were looking at something beyond just the eerie. It seems like intelligent life has exploded across the galaxy while we were napping. Maybe we should drop by more often. We're not alone anymore. The thought isn't her own, but she hears it anyway. Lulu doubts that she is the only one. The human looks at her and smiles. We were, as you say, able to edit the mass composition of your son. You really don't think that we would just be able to keep our technology from being misused? That, Lulu thinks, is a fair point. She barely blinks, then the human is no longer on a screen, but in front of her physically. Lulu has been surprised so frequently in the last ten minutes that she doesn't bother reacting. What is another impossibility compared to the dozens before it? A quick scan of your media tells us that things haven't exactly been peachy in the greater galaxy. In person, the human's voice was much softer, though they're almost bouncing in place with enthusiasm. It might be nice to get involved again. They tilt their head. Hey, did you say that you would help us out? Would you mind introducing us to the greater galaxy? It might go smoother that way. 
The thought of the stifling, apathetic, galactic government meeting the humans makes her smile. Lulu eases her self-control and vocalizes a trill of pure happiness. Now that is a conversation she intends to see in person. It would be my pleasure. End of story. Story number two. Dealing with Squatters. Written by Ack1308. Raising the eye bridge imperiously, I had practiced using the hollow screen. I stared at the boilers incredulously. That cannot be correct. Oh, but it is. Bolas might have been the best secretary I ever had, but he utterly lacked the understanding of when to wheedle his way around the truth instead of simply contradicting me outright. I preferred a steady flow of palatable lies as an appetizer before I got to the main course. According to the Galactic Homesteading Act on Post-Imperial Era 94, if the dominant native species of a planet has achieved space travel, their claim takes priority over any current or previous outside claims. Well, that put a bubbles in my murk. I paced up and down the ship's lounge, my footpads slapping against the floor covering. After a few rounds, I paused, brightening. Can I get the sales agent for fraud? That should net me a full refund, plus a little on top for not dropping his credit-grabbing rear in the authorities. Alas, sir, that is not possible. Bolus's tone was imperturbable, as ever, even as he delving into the very worst of the news. I have been taking the opportunity to check your purchase date against the earliest sign of high orbital travel by the natives, and it predates them by approximately 15 local years. When he sold you the deeds, he could not have known that they were going to be achieving spaceflight. In fact, the records note that they were in the final stages of a multi-continent war at the time. Oh, come on, I shouted. You cannot be seriously attempting to tell me that they went from trying to kill one another to that in just ten of their years. I pointed at the view screen and the image frozen on it of the ungainly cylindrical structure and the long rectangular wings protruding at odd angles. How long are these years, anyway? I ordered a planet with a rotational period with 15% of the clock gacks. Their rotation is actually within 5%, Bodus assured me smoothly. It has been 80 of their years since the conflict ceased, but you acquired the planet a little before that. And they achieved spaceflight within 15 years. I spread my arms wide in disbelief. Impossible, inconceivable. The last war that had taken place on the surface of Golgak had left everything in shambles for a good fifty local years. I do not think the word means what you think it means, murmured Boyles. The record clearly states, Oh, to the awful infinity with the records, I shouted. I ran my long slender fingers over my rounded head, seeking to find a way to not lose out of my transaction. Then it struck me. Bolus, yes, sir, he asked defiantly. If that space station were not there, then they would no longer technically be a spacefaring species. Correct. Closing my large black eyes to its meaningful slits, I intertwined my fingers together in the you-know-what-I-mean gesture. He paused to think about it. Technically, yes, but it cannot be due to outside influence. They must choose to withdraw their personnel from the station and deorbit it themselves. I frowned, disliking his precision. But what if we happened to fly into the ship just in front of it, and then Meteor Guard lasers chose to target it? Technically, we wouldn't be the ones. That still falls under the domain of outside influence, he said firmly. 
They must choose to abandon the station and remove the personnel themselves. Accidents happen, after all. What happens must be deliberate from their side. How is that fair? I demanded. I was the one who purchased the planet at great cost to myself. They paid nothing whatsoever for it. And here I am, traveling out here to the Tesla location to oversee the harvesting of its biotic and mineral resources. And the natives have the insolence to actually start practicing spaceflight. The nerve! They were born there, sir, Bolus reminded me gently. I would imagine they transfer some level of claim. That doesn't follow at all, I retorted. You may as well make the claim that I own the birthing center I was gestated in. They're just living there. That makes them squatters, not owners. Space furring is what makes them owners, sir. Bolus cracked one of his rare smiles. You may as well go down to the surface and tell them to cease spaceflight. You will pardon the jest, sir. I blinked my eyes, flicked the nictating membrane back and forth for extra emphasis. By the awful infinity, I exclaimed, that's exactly what I'll do. Those stupid planet-dwelling yokels have never met a galactic citizen before now, and they certainly have never encountered a cunning of a Golgak prey. Locate me the center of government for the nation that controls the ugly orbiting nightmare, will you? I've already done so, sir, he said at once. The nation which you seek is called the United States of America, despite only occupying a relatively small fraction of land area on the supercontinent called the Americas. Sounds pretentious to me, I snarked. Indeed, sir, I could not agree more. Now I'll prepare the shuttle for you to fly down. You are looking for the president. He resides in this building here. He zoomed into a display and pointed out a white-columned monstrosity. Good. Prepare me a lexicon so that I might be able to communicate with these primitive savages. I ordered. He thought he could anticipate me, did he? I would show him. Already programmed into the shuttle's databank, sir. He responded blandly. Oh, well, uh, good, good. Good to see that you're thinking ahead, Bolus. I straightened my back and went towards the shuttle bay. I always do, sir, he said to behind me. I will monitor your progress from orbit. I didn't bother answering as I proceeded towards the shuttle bay. Climbing into the shuttle, I seated myself in the pilot compartment and fired up the engines. Bolus, as efficient as ever, opened the shuttle bay doors and I launched myself into the void. Down I went, putting the occasional roll and spin just because I could. I was tempted to wander off course towards the ridiculous space station that perhaps have a teensy little accident with a near pass, but I decided not to. Bolus would probably find some reason that it was still invalidated my claim. The nerve of that species! The autopilot got me through the atmosphere, and I chuckled heartily as ground defense radars swept straight past the shuttle without detecting me. Almost straight down I came and swung in for a long swoop that dropped me neatly into the huge swath of green biota that covered the ground next to the idiotically pretentious building. Probably a chlorophyll-based filthy stuff, but it sold for heavy credits on the galactic market. Members of the local species came running out then, but I popped the hatch and climbed out, waving cheerfully. Good day, I called out to them in their own uncouth language. I come in peace. I wish to speak to your president. I have excellent news for him. For on the way down, I had hatched a cunning plan to deal with my problem. Still smiling genuinely, I watched as they conversed amongst themselves, then stepped forward and offered to escort me there. 
clad in my ship suit, I was of course carrying no weapons, but I had no fear. If they sought to imprison me, Bolus would swoop down and rescue me. After all, he'd better if he wanted me to keep paying him his exorbitant salary. After a short walk past many examples of primitive art and architecture, not a force field in sight, which I had trouble believing, I entered the large rounded office and encountered the human American president. Immediately, I laid on the charm. Hello, it's good to meet such an important man. Why, he said, that's mighty kind of you. It's good to meet an intelligent being from outer space as well, he paused. I was told you had important news. I preened for a moment. He obviously recognized my superiority from the outset. This was going well. Yes, you see, I am willing to give you the secrets of interstellar flight. Not sell, not rent, but give. I spread my hands wide to show him a huge gift that I was offering him. Well now, that is something to think about, he agreed. But I can't help but wonder if you're asking something for your gift that isn't money. Damn, these humans were sharp. Why... Yes, I am, I confirmed. We need you to withdraw all space-bearing activities, everyone on planet, for the next five years. It's a self-control thing, you see. If you can hold back from going into space for just five years, you will get the secrets of interstellar flight forever. All of which was a total lie, of course. I had no intention of going through with the deal that I made with these primitive natives, but the moment they pulled the last of their people from the stupid space station, I could call the harvesting crew. Oh, I'd probably keep the breeding population of natives somewhere, unless it became too tedious, of course. That sounds like a great deal, he really sounded enthusiastic. I'd fooled him, not that I'd expected anything less from the gullible native. I know just the folks to send you to talk to about that. Now, that was more like it. I allowed myself to be hustled from the huge white building where my shuttle still sat and conveyed to the ground car through the city. I was sure that I could smell the aftermath of burned hydrocarbons, and that made me angry. These ignorant savages were burning my hydrocarbons, but I kept my temper. They didn't need to know what I wanted from them. From the ground car, I was taken to a turbine-driven atmospheric craft, not even suborbital, and we made a flight across this nation. On the way, I saw landmarks that I would have to visit before I had them demolished. When we landed, I hustled into a grey building next to a huge, flat, empty lake bed. I'll be talking to your top scientists, I asked the men with me, just to make sure. Oh yes, the man said, the very best. In a room now, with the metal walls, I've been there a while, and I'm sure the best scientists will come for me, and I will convince them to end their space program. Any, any moment now. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.